Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. You are a cynical bastard, you know that? To reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many, we are one. You hear that line? Line's for you. Don't make me laugh. For one people. It's a myth created by Thomas Jefferson. Oh, now you never go with Jefferson, huh? My friend, Jefferson's an American saint because he wrote the words, all men are created equal. Words he clearly didn't believe since he allowed his own children to live in slavery. He was a rich wine snob who was sick of paying taxes to the Brits. So yeah, he wrote some lovely words and aroused the rabble and they went out and died for those words. This guy wants to tell me we're living in a community. Don't make me laugh. I'm living in America and in America you're on your own. America's not a country. It's just a business. Now fucking pay me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back, and tonight on the show, Ryan Parrish from Hope's Fall. Tommy, I'm very invested in Hope's Fall. I hope to talk to every member of the band at some point, and Ryan has had a storied music career. He was in Celebrity. He's in the band In Parallel now, who are awesome. They had a great record come out last year, yeah, 2020, called Fashioner, so we'll talk to him about that, and we'll hear some more of the Hope's Fall story from from Ryan's point of view, and it's going to be great. I'm excited. That was one of those bands, I don't know, if, like, when you first heard them, did you get excited, like, oh, this, I, I heard this Day Forward kind of sound when I heard them, and I was like, I've been waiting for something like this. Yeah, remember the story where, you know that really long post-rock kind of breakdown in End of an Era? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their first sh- their first show on tour with This Day Forward, I was there. Oh, that's I was the on- hungover story. Yeah, and yes, I, I yes, was yes, sitting yes. outside, and I was I was entranced by that post rock break in the song, like like the sirens song, you know, that the sailors would hear, and I was like, "What is that?" And it was just a slow build from there. That's it, I, and they've gone from a band that that what was that no that's the, that no wings to speak of, right? Yes. Then. I kind of lost track of them for a little while. Yeah. Then I remember the satellite years. Yes. Then you turned me on to Magnetic North and Arbiter. You were yes. the one that was like, you got to listen to these. Because it's it's roughly the same. How do you put that? It's the same feeling of the band. You get that same kind of like heaviness mixed with kind of melody, but um, done in a more mature kind of way, I guess is the way to explain it. Magnetic North is like, it's much darker and 
you, there's still some growth in there, I guess. Like Arbiter is such a polished record. Yeah. In in every way, the song structure is perfect. Everything is like perfect. So it's like they came all back together and were like, "This is it. We figured this shit out." Yeah. Not to say that there's anything wrong with Magnetic North. It's just it's a different sound. It's pro- magnetic Magnetic North and Ar- Arbiter are my two favorites. At this stage, it changes month to month, but those are those are my top two favorite records of theirs right now. I don't have a ton of their songs that are saved on my original hard drive, so yeah. I have all the stuff from No Wings to Speak of on there. So whenever I make like a mix to go to the skate park with, because I have like one of those little um, not i not iPod Shuffle, like the one that's a little bit big, like the iPod Mini ones, Nano, that one. Um, I have a bunch of songs on there and I'm always like, Oh great. Fucking hopes falls on. Like that's one of those ones that comes on and it's like, I don't have to skip it. <laughs> yeah. And Ryan's story is going to be good because he was out of the band right after satellite years came out. And then he came back into the fold and recorded with the band for their latest song, hall of the sky. So it, it's going to be a different perspective. And I, I'm excited to hear his story because we've never spoken to him before. So that's going to be good. The big news of this week is, have you read about this, Tommy? The the police officer who killed George Floyd was convicted of murder. Did you see that in the news? Yeah, I saw that. No, I was I uh, I heard it on the radio when they announced that I was driving home from work. What are your thoughts? Let's let's do a rundown. Um, I have a little bit of a hard time with the like so the thing is is that like when you read the the facts of the case um now I'll be real honest I have been in and out on this case um but I've listened to a decent amount of kind of uh, both left right and center in terms of commentary on it mm-hmm. um the one thing that seems to be kind of true from everybody that's coming out or th- everybody that was talking about it was uh the defense's case was about 8 hours long Whereas the prosecution's case was, I think, six days, seven days. <laughs> like it was it was a significant amount of time. The one thing that did kind of bother me is I did see uh, one of the uh, use of force experts come in and he was talking about, you know, things that you can use in terms of subduing someone and how to restrain people and what are the techniques that are taught, what's acceptable based on the, you know, um, person's behavior. And one of the things that kind of blew my mind was, you know, the prosecution called this witness and the guy goes on the stand and, you know, they're asking him questions. And in one of the parts, he was like, well, in terms of use of force, what are the things that are allowed? And he's like, well, actually, Officer Chauvin could have used a taser. And I'm like, why the fuck would you bring this guy up? (laughs) Like, Like, you're telling me that he could have actually done something even more severe than what he had already done. And it just seemed like, why would you? I, I as soon as I heard that I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. But again, I'm not a huge. Uh, so give have, me give me your like abridged final thoughts. Um, I agree with all the charges that were brought. Um, I just thought the conviction on the second degree, degree murder. Remember, he's the defendant, so all they had to present was reasonable doubt. I heard a couple things, at least in terms of testimony, that made me go, "Oh, okay, that's kind of iffy." Um, which at least presented a little bit of doubt in my mind. But again, this is the thing. It's a jury. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So you question you question the charge of second degree murder? No, 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 I don't question it. I question the the guilty verdict with it. Why? 
because they only had to, the defense's job is to prove, prove reasonable doubt. Uh, I think they presented enough evidence to say like, okay, he didn't act with, you know, malice of forethought. He didn't do it intentionally. Did um, you, did you miss the video where he was kneeling on the guy's neck on the street? I did. And then I saw the other video from the other angle where he's across his shoulders. So I don't know. I don't know. I have a hard time with this, Keith. I'll be real honest with you. Like as someone that worked in a law firm for a good chunk of time, it's hard for me to like, uh, kind of divorce myself from the emotionality of it. Cause I, I look at it as like, look, that dude's a dickhead. He needs to go to jail. Um, but I feel like people need to need to be convicted of the correct crimes. Uh, well, I feel like the negligent, I think more in line with what should have been done is something like negligent homicide. Like he, his ignorance. Oh, so you're saying a different, oh, so you're coming at it from a law degree. You're saying like a different charge of homicide. Yeah. He killed that guy a hundred percent, but, um, it was through his negligence of actions. He should not have used that type of force. The other thing is, is that, um, well, hold on. Let me, let me get in on this. Yeah, go. I'm happy that there was a murder charge because we all saw the video and that that move that cops do where they just kneel on a guy's neck needs to be banned immediately. That's insane. And I read some stories where these guys knew each other. I think they worked together at a nightclub. Bodyguards or uh, yeah, they were bouncers at a nightclub. Yeah. And there was some beef there. So there may have been some premeditated aggression or something like that i don't know i'm just speculating and of course there's the bigger problem of just racism in this country i mean there's no denying that i mean the other bigger issue of the way policing is done in this country you know cops who plant drugs on people to meet quotas Mm -hmm. i read that cops carry toy guns around to justify shootings like they'll shoot somebody and drop a toy gun next to them and be like oh i thought it was a real gun can you uh, even comprehend the level of insanity that we're dealing with? I think that has to be like I would like to see like something where like a police officer actually said that. My in my head I'm going like there's lots of anecdotal things where people say, "Hey, the cops did this and the cops did that." Like when I first did you hear the story about the kid in Columbus that was shot or not uh, was it no, it was it was maybe Minnesota. It was a 13-year-old. And he was Honestly, shot the- it's hard to keep out. It's hard to keep up with the number of shooting stories, but yeah, I think so. I think but so. It was like when I first heard the story, the story was cop shot a 13 year old uh, young man that was unarmed. And then I stole the story afterwards, and it was like not only did the kid have a gun, the video from the body cam footage shows him throwing the gun. Like he like turns at the last second when the officer raises his gun and tries to kind of like throw it behind his back. So you can't see it. And the cop sees that motion and discharges his, uh, weapon. So like, I think one of the most important things that we can all do as people is kind of wait for judgment on things and wait till we hear all the facts and, make police accountable with like those body cam things that's going to save people's lives because if one people know they're on camera they're going to act in a way that makes sure that they wouldn't ever see charges be based on their you know negligence or behavior no they're they're not held accountable and they they turn the body cams off or lose the footage and then you know the police union will sweep all that under the rug and one thing i didn't realize you know that you know how they put the black band when quote unquote like another officer gets killed that's to cover their badge number so they can't be reported i never heard that yeah i don't i thought it was like a 
uh like a funeral thing like where they like i think it's a i think it's a double-edged sword but listen there's there's a lot of bad stuff going on i don't know if it it, if it can ever change because everything in this country is so inherently corrupt but i have hope i guess and can we also mention nancy pelosi saying his sacrifice about uh george floyd like we thank you for your sacrifice he didn't sacrifice shit he was killed. Yeah. He didn't say like, oh, I'm going to do this for all people. No, he was yeah. killed. I also th- I also think of uh, there was that story I saw about um, that representative from California, Maxine Waters, and she was in Minnesota and she said something like this was before the verdict was read. She was like, you know, it, we need a first degree murder charge. And I was like, Holy shit. First of all, he wasn't charged with first degree murder. <laughs> you can't you can't expect that. And then the second one was she said something like we need to get more confrontational about this. I'm like, look, people are already on edge about this. You th- in terms of like inciting people to act irrationally, shit, dude, like you're an elected official, you have to choose your words more carefully. Um, I agree with that. And I saw, uh, you know, like CNN's fairly left-leaning, Fox News. Or no, I agree with her, I mean, not you. (laughs) (laughs) But continue. So, um, like, even CNN was like, what is Maxine Waters doing? And I was like, holy shit. Like, that seems like, you know, when I saw the things that they were trying to impeach Trump for, for like in in terms of the Capitol riot, in terms of incitement, I was like, okay, yeah, I can actually see some of the things that they were talking about, uh, his wording, his lack of uh, direction, his kind of vagueness with certain things. I was like, fuck, man, that's that's kind of up in the air. With hers, it's like, no, that's pretty clear cut. <laughs> that's pretty much inciting people to fucking <laughs> go out there and cause some mayhem, man. Like, that's, that's fucking well, wild. There's other news, too, and that is uh, Tommy has purchased how many new pairs of Costco pants? Well, I didn't buy it. My wife bought them because I was in work, but uh, she bought three pair. Uh, so I... I tried on all three i'm i'm keeping two wow yeah so that's a t- grand total of 31.99 i didn't realize they were from costco you sent me the ad and they were like these pants are 14.99 <laughs> and i zoomed in and it said costco and i was like oh he did it <laughs> new costco pants so tommy tommy's on cloud nine right now dude i'm hype and i bought a new uh uh sweater from ebay i'm so hype what kind? Polo. I have always like whenever I buy like dress stuff, I always buy uh, polo stuff because I mean, just in my thing, it they te- they seem to last longer and they hold up to wear pretty well. And I'm I'm pretty rough on my clothes. Yeah, me too. I wear them for weeks and then finally switch my outfit. I think my thing is is like I I use a lot of not a lot, but I use chemicals at work all the time to erase the board. I use that alcohol spray to wipe the whiteboard down. Yeah, uh, and that wreaks havoc on any type of colors because it really is just like isopropyl alcohol and uh, some other like you know benzene or some other shit in it. It's not it. It's really terrible, and I get it all over my shirts and my clothes. And then when I'm teaching now because I'm on camera. Uh, I kind of have my back up against the whiteboard. So not only am I like getting it on my sleeves while I'm writing, uh, I'm literally wiping my back on the board. Like, cause I came home the one day and Kelly's like, what the fuck is on the back of your shirt? It was just dry erase marker all over the back of my fucking shirt from leaning up against the board after I had modeled a problem. You know, taking that into consideration, the Costco clothing makes a lot more sense, right? It's like disposable. 
Yeah. You got to yeah. keep replacing it. You know it's not disposable. Our show and our guest, Ryan Parrish, who is up next. So enjoy the conversation. Wonderful segue. I love it. All right, folks, we're here now with Ryan Parrish. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Now, Ryan, do you know that several members of Hope's Fall have already been on this show? Josh and Adam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did I you li- hear any of their episodes? I did. I listened to both. Oh, see, I was gonna. I was hoping you would say no, so I could make a joke and say, "Oh, so you didn't hear what they said?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm a yeah. I, I, I listen to everything. I'm kind of one of those nerds, so um, yeah. I like to be in the loop, you know. And if it was about me, I would absolutely listen to it because I'm on that level. Like, if, <laughs> if Tommy was on a podcast, I'd be listening to every word, like writing it down. Like, what did he say? What is he doing? You know, I, I've listened to my own uh, as well, mainly just to uh, to judge myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're glad you're here, and uh, let's start out. Let's talk about your past a little bit and get to know you. Where did you grow up? I was uh I was born in Mississippi um in in a town called Jackson. Uh it's really the only city to speak of in the state, but I lived there until I was about 8 eight and a half. and then my dad got transferred uh to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Which is where um you know, I I spent my formative years, I guess they say. Um so from 8 and a half until, you know, just after college. I lived there, and then I moved to Nashville in 2003. So kind of been a tour around the Southeast for me uh, growing up. Right. So in North Carolina, now Josh mentioned that you went to, I think it was a school or summer camp with him and maybe Adam as well. Yeah, yeah. We all went to the same church growing up as kids and, um, uh, you know, became pretty fast friends. So I felt like we were kind of the oddballs of the group. And I think we kind of sensed that <laughs> at a very early age. I don't know. I felt like we were kind of tuned into like, we didn't fit in with, uh, with the cool kids or the jocks or any of that. So, um, you right. Know, when we were growing up, it was still jocks versus everybody else, I guess. And if yeah. you were into alternative music or anything like that, you were still a weirdo. No, totally. I mean, my first memory of of Josh was being at this camp that our church went to called Camp Willow Run. And it was on this lake and it's, you know, it's gimmick was, uh, all of the, um, cabins were train cars. So you slept in these little train cars, you know, and as a kid, it's like super cool. Right. But Josh and I were in a cabin together one year. And I think that's kind of when we started to really, um, you know, hit it off and realize we had similar interests. Yeah. yeah. And how did you feel about now I went to 12 years of Catholic school myself. How did you feel about religion and the belief systems and all that in general at that age? Like for me, I don't know, I was really impressionable and just behind on a lot of things sure. like younger than my age, so I believed everything and I didn't know anything. I figured out everything way later than everybody else and then when I got up the courage to like ask friends about things like like I was like, wait, like, are you gonna, are you gonna wait till you get married to to have sex? And my friend was like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I kind of realized, like, oh, like maybe that's I don't know. I guess that's when I kind of started to question things and 
I guess by the time I was in high school, I just didn't care anymore. How was it for you? You know, my first memories growing up are in the church, you know, uh, my family, you know, pretty conservative and, uh, you know, deep people of faith, um, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter kind of where you fall on that spectrum of belief, you know, my parents are, are very faithful people. Um, so, you know, from a young age, I mean, what you're taught is what you believe. Right. Um, and you know, growing up between, um, you know, Mississippi and North Carolina, there are vast differences between the two places. I know a lot of people kind of lump the Southeast into this one bucket, but really all the States are pretty different. Um, you know, Mississippi being the most impoverished state in the country. So when I moved to Charlotte, you know, Charlotte's a banking town. I mean, it's the second largest banking center in in the U.S. behind New York. So there's a lot of money in that town. And um, I think with a lot of money comes a lot of uh, shelter, you know, from differing um, belief systems, uh, you know, differing economic uh you know, scales, um, the, the area in Charlotte that we grew up was pretty, pretty protected, pretty nice. Um, you know, we didn't run into a lot of, um, things that seemed scary. You know, I don't really know where I, I fall on the, on the faith spectrum now. I, I don't have a good answer to that. You know, I'd say when we started touring and, and seeing other parts of the country and, seeing that people live differently. Uh, I think that's when my eyes started to open up a little bit and, and consider some other things. Mm-hmm. I think finding punk rock, specifically hardcore, I, I wasn't really a punk rock kid. I, I didn't really care for punk. Same. I, I kind of jumped right to hard. I went from alternative rock to hardcore, you know? Me and, too, yeah. And when I found hardcore you know, everyone has a belief in hardcore. That's kind of the whole thing. You you know, it's like every band has their kind of agenda. And I I think once we started hanging out with other bands and other, other kids in the scene, um, it kind of expanded my mind. And, you know, I've kind of been on that. I mean, I'm 42 now. Um, I'd say I'm still on that journey of self-discovery and what I believe is real and what is not real. And I don't know, I think for the first time, like right around when I hit 40, I started to be okay with not knowing. Um, and and that's kind of where I stand now. I I don't know. I think this may be way too intense of a, of a thing to start off with. Absolutely not. No, No, we love this. We love this stuff. I think, um, you know, a finite mind, um, which is what we have. We have these, vessels that we live within, you know, and we live within our own minds. It it seems wildly um, egocentric to believe that we truly know why we're here. Um, I'm open to the idea of, I don't want to say magic. I'm, I'm open to the idea of there are things at work that we do not understand because we cannot perceive everything. But I'm also not saying I have the answers because I, I I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm just a guy trying to like make it through the day and provide for my family. And, you know, I, I think I'm a newish dad, you know, I've got 
a 16th, 16 month old at home. And when I think about the meaning of my life, the meaning of my life is to serve the, the people that are, you know, in my family, uh, to serve my daughter and to serve my wife and to be a good friend to my friends and try to find meaning there and, um, kind of leave the big questions, I don't know, maybe unanswered. Um, and just try to focus on those aspects of my life that I do know have meaning. Yeah. And I kind of have the same approach. I I was staunchly anti-religion because, I don't know, you kind of learn that in hardcore in those kind of circles. And that's okay. But I I had to find meaning in something because I was, I was, I fell to such dark depths of like addiction and alcoholism and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just I was just very egocentric, narcissistic. I think everyone's talking about me. I think I can do everything myself and all that stuff. And to to get out of all that stuff, I had to rely on others or powers greater than myself, if you will. So mm-hmm. I acknowledge that I am not the center of the universe. Like you, I say, I don't know. I don't know what's out there. Sometimes there's awesome coincidences. Is it a mm-hmm. coincidence or is it not? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But as long as I don't rely on just me and put my faith in something else, whether it's the universe or people or a volcano or whatever the fuck that's not me, then, <laughs> right. it, then it works. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I, Ryan, I appreciate the idea that you have that idea of service. I think that's a huge thing that people, especially nowadays, miss out on. Uh, when I, when I went to high school, every day I passed a, a wooden sign that said, enter to learn, leave to serve. And the whole idea was, is that you were learning how to be a, like someone who gave back, someone yeah. who did something that was productive. The other thing I really appreciate is that people are like, especially Ryan, you, you kind of mentioned this is that, uh, being fluid with things, being okay with like, I don't know the answers. Maybe they'll come in a day. Maybe they won't ever come, but I know that I have a, a singular purpose right now. And my purpose is to take care of my family. Totally, totally relate to that perspective. And, you know, service isn't really a, you know, it's not really a sexy word in, in Western culture. It's, you know, it's very, as we've seen over the past year, you know, people are concerned with themselves and uh, that's been something that's been eye opening over the past year, you know, living through the pandemic is just the sheer selfishness of so many people in our country and yeah here you hear my hustle and my grind and all that other well, yeah and stuff. just and just i'm just i just want to get groceries man and i i want to i want to <laughs> do, do it in the safest way possible i put this little piece of cloth over my face it's an inconvenience obviously but it's really not that big of a deal and then you see people that think uh you know it's tyranny to wear a mask and, and, um, to, to think about someone other than themselves. And, and, um, you know, a lot, I'd say, you know, belief, the, the idea of, um, kind of the American ideal, that cowboy mythology, you know, of me against the world. It, it's really, for me, it's really been turned up on its head over the past year. And it's made me want to be more service oriented, um, and, and I'm selfish too, just like every other human on the planet. But I really do, in those moments when I'm thinking about myself, I want to try to redirect it to thinking about the needs of my daughter or whatever it might be. So yeah, that's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's good stuff. So 
you're going to the so i'm going to circle back now and that was a strong start gentlemen i love that i love that and i don't have a good segue so i just had to acknowledge it. <laughs> oh, it's so, okay. but there, we can totally just like shift gears it's all good yeah so i'm shifting the gear we're back in school you're with josh you're getting into some good music talk about how you started playing music and some of your early days of bands hmm Okay. I'm thinking back, like I I was in, um, band in elementary school, um, all the way through high school. Um, I I played the saxophone. So I guess that's where I started. Uh, so how I learned how to read music and understand music and, you know, playing with, you know, God, I don't remember how many people were in band over 20, 25, 30 people, you know, simultaneously trying to play something that sounded decent. So, you know, I, music was early love for me. I I don't know what it was. I just was, gr- I gravitated toward it. Um, but I got my first guitar, I want to say I was like 14, maybe 13 or 14. And my mom got me um, just a cheap acoustic. And I started taking lessons down the street uh, at this little music store um, in Matthews, North Carolina called Howard Music. And uh, the guy Keith there was like a, um, you know, he was in his twenties. Uh, so obviously older than me, uh, and, and his touch points were bands like Rush and Yes. And, you know, some of the more psychedelic, uh, sides, kinda, yeah. sides of the Beatles and, and Zeppelin. So I learned a lot of that stuff from him early on. And, and I have a deep love for that, that style of music because of that. But, you know, at home, I was listening to, you know, alternative rock, you know, it was the heyday of that, you know, when I started playing guitar. So, so yeah, that's when it kind of started, like the real hardcore love of music was like, you know, I feel like most people find that when they're a teenager. But yeah, you know, I, I bought some tab books, you know, um, I bought Siamese Dream tab book, which is probably my favorite album of all time, and just learned it back and front. And you know, then I started to develop an ear that was decent enough to start figuring stuff out myself. You know, I just sit with my CD player and, all right, I want to learn this hum song. Uh, there's not a hum tablature book, uh, you know, because they weren't a big enough band at that point. And I'd pluck around and try to figure out, you know, the pod or whatever by hum and started to get decent at it. And, you know, once you start, I felt like for me, once I had confidence that, that my ear was decent enough. Then I started to get confident and wanting to just write my own stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. I probably started that when I was around 16. I remember I really started to try to write riffs and um, come up with, you know, song structures and that kind of thing. That's a similar trajectory for me. And I remember that Smashing Pumpkins tab book and it just I just couldn't even comprehend it. I could barely read tabs. And I remember figuring out that lead in today. Yeah. It was, it was like I discovered radiation. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I mean, it was, I just was blown away that I could figure out some of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, unlocking a part of your mind, you know, It, it sounds hokey when, I say it out loud like that, but it did. It like unlocked. It's like I gained access to this thing in my brain that I didn't know was there. And when you're playing guitar, you're literally connecting the two hemispheres of your brain, the right and left side start talking to one another. And 
any any time that you're you know that's why walking is so meditative it's your it's bipedal stimulation so i think i don't have a very quiet mind i have a very active almost borderline neurotic mind so when when i play guitar it kind of turns that off you know it's like i'm not worrying about the next thing that i need to get done um, I can just kind of zone out, I guess. <laughs> it's that, yeah. you know what I was going to say, Ryan, I, I have the same idea. Like when I, uh, I'm doing something that like playing guitar or skateboarding, when I have a singular focus, it seems to quiet all the other thoughts that I have of like, uh, deadlines or whatever I have to do. Like, it's just like, no, I'm focused just on this thing. Yeah. It's the, the simplest things to me. Um, I don't know. I think when I, recenter and I go to the simple thing that is usually the way to kind of quiet the anxiety or quiet you know whatever crazy thoughts are bouncing around in my in my brain (laughs) (laughs) yeah now I you know I haven't played guitar in too long so now I'm just doing something at all times which is probably not healthy whether it be working or working on the podcast or playing a video game or watching a live stream of something it's just constant activity yeah i mean it's easy it's easy to get in that in that routine you know i mean that's kind of the way our world is set up you know everything's so compartmentalized and i don't know you know i think that's one thing that i've you know with the pandemic going on that's one thing that i've really loved it's really slowed my life down and um you know i've been working from home for a year Uh, we've had no child care it's really kind of made the day special because you know my daughter, Remy, you know, she, she kind of like recenters me if I'm like stressed out at work, you know, it's like, I can just kind of like turn around and look at her and she's just stoked on like the blocks that she's playing with, you know? So (laughs) it's a real good kind of like salve, you know? And, um, I don't know. So for me, like, you know, yeah, the pandemic has been really difficult, but in, in the same way, it's been filled with like, I don't know, just like, more patience, which is great, you know? Yeah. I don't feel like I have to like go do all these different things um, because I'm just trying to keep my family healthy and safe. So I love not going anywhere. Dude, I'm a a homebody. So I I mean, I'm built for this kind of life. And then if you, if you, if there's like a social function, you don't want to go to, you have an instant out. It's so good. It's amazing. (laughs) And for someone like me, that's like a, you know, I'm an introvert. Like, yeah, me you too. Know, I always hate having to say no, uh, and, and I don't have to say no right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you have a kid too. So for the next, I don't know, eighteen years, you have an excuse. Yeah, like if you don't want to go somewhere, ah, oh, the kid. Oh yeah. It, and it's funny because I have a I have a good friend who who's like, dude, you have the ultimate out now, and I'm like, I do, you know. And and the the cool thing about it is, you know it's valid. (laughs) It's like a valid, it's like she, she has to be in bed at this time. I don't have a choice. That's when she goes to bed and, and I have to kind of follow that schedule, you know? So it's kind of in a weird way, nice to have, you know, my life revolves around her needs. Uh, and, and I think that's a good, that's been a good life lesson for me for sure. No, I was going to say, that's one of those things, uh, with having kids, it allows you to focus on, 
ultimately what's the most important thing. And, and if it, it, it really kind of, if you have any kind of ego or you have any kind of self-centeredness, it, it immediately goes out the window. Do either of you guys have kids? I have Tommy's three. got a whole gang. He's got three. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got your hands full, man. Yeah. I, I have, tw- I have twin seven year olds and an 18 month old. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. So. I don't have any kids, but I would like to get a cat one day, maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I don't think kids are in my future, but you never know. You That's just okay, never know. man. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely, I, I say to people, it's like, it's not for everybody. Uh, no. and, uh, but if you do enter into it, um, whether by choice or <laughs> by accident, um, it, it really, for, for me, as someone who was a, a fence riding dad, I didn't really know if I wanted to be a dad. Um, you know, it, it, you're right. It, it decimates the ego, but for me, it's done it in the best way possible. So wait, you said you played a lot of saxophone. Does this mean we might get a good sax solo on an, a hopes fall or maybe an in parallel record one day? It probably would fit more within parallel, but yeah. um, you know, it, nothing's off the table with me, man. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't, picked my saxophone up in probably two decades but i do i do still have it it's at my parents house in charlotte so maybe you'll get started again after this after this conversation yeah who knows (laughs) so hopes fall let's talk about some of the early days so you and josh and adam start up this thing with ryan ryan was the first singer right um doug was the first singer that's what i meant yeah you're ryan yeah um doug um Doug was a friend of the group. Um, I, I mean, that that's kind of the story of Hope's Fall. Um, really, it's it's just been, no matter what era of the band it's been, we've always sourced members from friends, you know? It was never like post a bulletin or any of that stuff. It was like, oh, you're my friend, you play this, come on, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's been a long time ago. That was 90... 98 yeah when we started um uh it was a freshman in college adam was still in high school josh and i are the same age so he was a freshman too doug was a year or two older than us and our first bass player chris was three years older than us you know we had a band before that that was really just like a high school band you know so we weren't like playing proper shows or anything Mm -hmm. and that was more of like an alternative rock band and then when we started to get into hardcore, you know, I started to become interested in that. And what were some of the bands that you were listening to at the time that you drew influence from? Because I see a lot of parallels with our whole scene. And, you know, This Day Forward was a big band from around our area. And great I guys, think you, man. Yeah, <laughs> much great they guys. are. And you guys, I think you guys, I think both bands early on sounded similar. Hopes Fall and This Day Forward. And we were all suburban kids. Like, so I'm like trying to find the the parallel like of what everyone was listening to where yeah. things kind of coalesced. Well, you know, I mean, my, my true love is alternative rock. You know, that, 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 that is like, if I had to listen to one genre of music, it would be that mm-hmm. um, because that's what I found when I was a teenager, you know? And so the pumpkins and hum and failure and, and um, you know, Soundgarden and all of those bands, you, everybody knows the bands from the nineties, you know, yeah. 
they all impacted me in, in a massive way. Um, but, you know, as the 90s moved on, you know, everybody knows the story. The music started to get shitty again in the mainstream because the labels, <laughs> you know, were just signing any band that they thought could break. And the band started to become watered down and cloned copies of the things that came before them. So, you know, as that started to happen, I started to go underground. I was like, well, there's other music out there that's not on the radio. and um, you know, we just started diving into that. And, you know, when we found, you know, what I would call second wave emo, uh, group, you know, uh, in, in hardcore, I, I loved it immediately. So the first hardcore bands I remember listening to, uh, strong arm, um, Shilude, um, refuse Snapcase, overcome. Those are all the bands I, I, I remember listening to initially you know that kind of like and those were all the bands we were listening to like those a lot of those bands were the first bands i listened to so i think we're drawn from the same pool of influences yeah you know it's like that that mid 90s mid to late 90s era of hardcore was really the sweet spot to me Uh, you know it was still super underground social media hadn't like blown up the genre yet, you know, and and made it this huge thing. It felt very secretive, you Mm -hmm. know, shows were in VFW halls and like just random rooms that people could rent, you know? So it felt like you, while the music scared me at first, but because I'm a deep lover of melody, I I think I, I just love, love guitar melody. I think what drew me into hardcore was that secretive vibe it felt like i was in on something that no one else was in on yeah and you know the aggressiveness of the music was what appealed to me before the music did it was it was tapping into something in my head you know and in my heart you know some of that anger that i i was feeling at that time in my life and and kind of gave it a voice you know so that's what drew me to the genre um and simultaneously emo as well, you know, it's like the more fragile version of that, which, um, I still love, you know, a lot, a lot of those bands had huge, huge impacts on me. Yeah. And I, the thing about Hope's Fall that is good, there's always been a lot of melody. I got into Hope's Fall a little later when I was 20 years old. I don't know if I would have liked it as much if I discovered it when I was 16 or 17, because I, then it was just heavy, heavy, heavy. It's got to be really heavy. Or maybe I would have, who knows? But there's always been a lot of melody in Hope's Fall songs, even back to the first record and No Wings to Speak of especially. There's just, you know, it was never like straight up mosh. There was always a, a ton of melody in it. Yeah, I think we just weren't drawing from that pool of influence. You know, Josh and I don't didn't listen to metal, still don't listen to metal. It doesn't really appeal to me at all, uh, you know, true metal. So post-hardcore, melodic hardcore you know, emo, space rock, those were kind of what we were pulling from. And, you know, I think just that's the way we played guitar because we played guitar together and kind of taught each other how to play in a way. Um, That's kind of just what came out. We we didn't really think about it. We, We weren't like saying, let's be super melodic and have no mosh parts. We just kind of wrote what came to us and, and um, it just ha- so happened to sound like that, you know? Um, 
I credit a lot of that to, you know, just my love of space rock and, and, yeah. and, and alt rock, but also the South Florida bands, you know, that that's what interested me. I, I mean, I heard strong arm and shy Lude and there were no mosh parts in any of their songs. And I was like, this just like crazy, like song structure, interesting arrangements, but it's really beautiful. You know, like their, their guitar work was just really beautiful to me. And, and, um, I kind of wanted to like just smash the two of those things together, you know? Um, yeah. And then throw in a little emo too, you know, cause there's definitely some emo parts on, on some Hope Soul songs. So. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's the perfect mix of everything. You guys really tapped into something. And I started out with the melodic Mashi stuff and around 99, I discovered, I guess it would be second wave email promise ring mineral. Texas is the reason all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, man. Yeah, and that's that's really I really got deep into that. I still love those bands a lot and they basically taught me how to play guitar and yeah. I don't know, it was just music that I deeply deeply and still deeply connect with. Yeah, that Texas is the reason record really resonated uh and it kind of that kind of opened a thing in my brain a little bit, you know, uh cuz it was still heavy. Um yeah. you know, and I really gravitated to b- bands like Braid and um that kind of had more intricate arrangements um, and kind of noodly weird guitar parts and, um, you know, and then more like the slow core stuff with a lot of space, like karate, that band like kind of changed how I thought about music. But um, yeah, I loved 99% of the stuff that was popular then, you know? Yeah. So hopes fall signs with trust kill. We're going to record the satellite years, which I don't know how you feel about it from your perspective, but I think this is an important record. I may, I would say maybe even a landmark record because Hmm. not a lot of bands have, not a lot of bands have done this. I think you guys were one of the first, if not the first to blend those elements of alternative music with hardcore. And it's still an album that I love and a ton of people love to this day. And it still pops up in a lot of best melodic hardcore best post hardcore best whatever records Mm. and yeah i i mean i still listen to it to today so that's awesome now i guess you didn't realize any of this going in to record it right like the effect it would have or any any kind of future predictions or anything like that no that, that was um you know it's weird because you know that that's that's the record for most Hope's Fall fans, right? Is yeah. Satellite Years. And, and I can't, I can't inflict or influence um, anyone's perception of the record. And that's, what's really cool about music is you hear it differently than I hear it. You have memories tied to it that I don't have tied to it. Mm-hmm. And I respect that, you know, but for me personally, that was a really hard record to make. The band was, I was in a very bad place when we made that record. And when I listen to it, that's what I hear because that was my experience. That being said, I was very proud of what we were making. Um, and I did feel like we were doing, I felt like we were doing something unique. Um, mm-hmm. But but I had felt that, I think maybe because my head was clearer when we made No Wings, mm-hmm. that's the one for me. That, yeah. That's the one for me. And, and, because it felt like we were on the edge. The band was not well known in that, in the scene. We were starting to get some buzz in the scene, 
and no wings just felt like I just remember making it and feeling like, yes, you know, like just that energy, um, that I felt when we were making it. And yes. Uh, so that's the one for me that feels special. Um, it's not that satellite years is not special to me. It, 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 it is. There was just stuff going on. There was that... just stuff going on, and 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 that was band stuff, you know. Uh, you know, the, two weeks after we made the record, I was I was out, you know. So, so um, was the was the stuff that you were dealing with during the satellite years strictly band stuff that you had to sort through? No, it was just you know early twenties. You don't know who you are. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like I was I was in a long term relationship you know, that was pretty serious. I graduated college. I'd moved back in with my parents part, partly to do the band. Um, so we could actually afford to do it. Um, you know, we got signed by trust kill, which was kind of a whirlwind thing in my head, although it's kind of foggy. Um, and you know, we got shipped off to make a record with our hero, you know, uh, Matt from hum. And, and, and I was the, the intimidation level there was real for me because I, you know, I was a young kid and, and this was a guy that arguably changed my life musically. Yes. Um, so there was all of that swirling around. It's like, do I want to move and be with this person that I was dating at the time? Do I want to, pursue a career what would that even look like i don't even know i don't know what i want to do uh i don't want to live with my parents because that feels weird and then just some of the stuff going on in the band creatively and and just emotionally it, it was just all of that stuff kind of smashing together really you know uh, all at yeah. the same time and and you know looking back on it you know you have more clarity but you know i was just in a I was depressed. I, I mean, that's what it was. Um, I just didn't know it, you know, and I, I don't know what contributed to that depression. I just think I was confused. I think, I think I was a confused kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, so two weeks after the record is out, you said you're out of the band. That's my recollection. Yes. It could have been. So what happened? Did you, did you leave? Like, was it not working? Well, we, we, we made the record, right? We, we spent two weeks with Matt. Mm -hmm. um, in his studio in Tolono, Illinois, which is the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> and, um, we had some time off in between tracking and mixing and mastering, which the mixing and mastering was going to happen a couple of weeks after, um, with Keith Cleversley, who mixed and mastered, you'd prefer an astronaut, which is hums rec, you know, probably biggest well-known record. So in the interim, I had some time off. So I went to go see, the girl I was dating at the time to spend time with her. And, uh, you know, that's when I got a phone call and, you know, it was, uh, Hey, we're going to go on the road this summer without you. Um, and that was kind of that, you know, that then I was kind of adrift for the better part of 2002, you know, didn't really know what was next. Um, how did you feel after that? Just immediately after that, and then seeing Hope's Fall go on to tour and all that stuff, because I couldn't handle anything at that age. I was completely emotionally a wreck, very vindictive, very self-centered. 
So had I been in that situation, I don't know what I would have done. I would have been, I would have been furious. I would have been sad. And I, I was like very vindictive. So I'd be like, fuck these guys. I'm never going to listen to them again or see yeah. them again. Like what, what was going on with you? Did you talk to them at all? Did you ever check in on them or listen to them again? Like, where were you at that time? No, I think it was just too painful, you know, because we had lived our whole lives together. I mean, y- you forget like Hope's Fall had only existed for about f- four years to that point, but our friendships had been lifelong. So, you know, not only was I not in the band anymore, I, I lost my friends that, and that was as painful to me as not being in the band. Yeah. Um, you know, because there was, at least my recollection of it, there was kind of a break and we didn't speak, um, for quite a while. And I kind of focused on, you know, just, just going to work and hanging out with my girlfriend at the time, kind of just aimless. Like, I don't know what to do, you know, because, you know, when you're that young, uh, the band was everything to me at that stage in my life. You know, it was, it, it was my life. I, I had devoted all of my energy to it and then it's just gone. And, you know, I felt like uh, the rug was kind of pulled out from under me. Um, and, and I had a lot of soul searching to do. And, and a lot of it was, you know, working on myself, I think, um, be trying to be, um, a more cooperative person. Um, in the midst of a group setting and, yeah. uh, and, and that's part of being in a band. Do you know what I mean? And, oh yeah, you know, um, I own a lot of that, but you know, I mean, it wasn't perfect on either side and, um, you know, eventually, um, I got the offer to, to try out for celebrity and, um, I jumped at the chance cause I was a huge fan of the band. Um, and, Is that uh, how you ended up out in Nashville? Yeah, yeah. They they asked me to learn the songs uh, by ear, and then they said, "Oh, and uh, by the way, we want you to come out, practice with us for five days, and then we're going to fly to New York to play a closed showcase for Atlantic Records." So, whoa, that, that was my first <laughs> time playing in Celebrity was to Atlantic Records. So, great uh, rebound. Yeah, but you know, it, honestly, that that lifeline came right at the right time. You know, I I got that phone call and that's what I needed at that point in my life. I needed to shake things up. I needed to get out of Charlotte. I needed to face my own ego, uh, and, um, own some of that. And I think moving to a place where I knew nobody, I had no job. I was living in our drummer's living room, you know, that, that open that opens your eyes real quick and takes some of those security blankets away really quickly. And you are you wherever you go, but at the same time, having a, a fresh start with new people, I think, was the thing that I needed at that time. And, and it helped me grow and, and helped me mature and uh, be a little more reasonable about some things. I think that's good. Yeah, I've been. I was a. I think I was a bit of a terror in bands probably up until 2015. I don't know, because I was high or drunk all the time, and I just always wanted it to be my way or no way. So yep. I was I I would push a little too hard. I would think, instead of focusing on the collective of us playing together, I would think, oh, we need to sound like this or we need to do that. Yeah. I don't know. It was just like, I think if I was in a band now, I 
I would approach it much, much better than I did in the past. Yeah, I, I feel that. You know, my, my issue is I, I get wrapped around the axle, you know, and and what I mean by that is like I'm like a hyper detail focused person and yes. a perfectionist to a really bad degree in some ways. And I, I just get stuck on something and if it's not right to me, then it's not right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think at a young age, I, I didn't realize that about myself. And I, I also didn't know how to talk about it or to express it in a way that was constructive. I could just get hung up on the smallest detail of something that we were writing, you know? And I think now that I've matured, now that I've played with other people, I'm much more open now to, to whatever, wherever the song wants to lead, whatever want, whatever needs to happen. I, I, I let that play itself out versus trying to like square a peg round hole something. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And it's a, it's a long, tough, hard lesson to learn. Oh, totally, man. Um, yeah. Or it was for me at least, but celebrity. Now this is a good band that Josh turned me on to actually. What, how long were you in the band and what kind of circles did you play in? Was it like, was it like more mainstream type shows or scene type shows <laughs> or both? Or like, what, what was the deal? Yeah, I mean, when I moved to Nashville to 2003, the band had a lot of major label interest. And that was super exciting to me because that felt like, man, maybe we could actually do this and not have to like be in a van. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it was an alternative band, which is the kind of music that I truly love. And my first love, I, I guess I should say. And I just thought they had a really unique sound. No one was sounding like that around then, kind of that mix of 80s and 90s. And yeah, that was a real, real kind of sweet spot for me. But I don't know. The Nashville scene then was really interesting. There were a lot of really good bands. I'd, I'd call them all indie or alternative. Um, so we were playing shows with a lot of those bands. The scene in Nashville was really strong. The shows were well attended. Um, there was a lot of buzz in Nashville for a lot of the bands, uh, with like bigger labels. It, it, it was a really neat time to move here. It, it felt very like you were a part of something. The tours we got on, unfortunately, they just weren't the right tours for us. We were touring with, you know, the first tour we did was with Hope's Fall and Every Time I Die, you know, and it's like, and we're Whoa, like this. Whoa, now hold on a sec. Yeah. Was that weird? <laughs> oh, it was super weird. <laughs> Did you like give them the stink eye when you walked by them and shit? I mean, we were on speaking terms at that point, but you know, we weren't we weren't uh, chummy. I would say we. Yeah, I I wasn't ignoring them uh, when they uh, when they played something off satellite years. Would you nudge someone and be like, "I wrote that." <laughs> I would totally do that, Keith. This, I would this, immediately. I yeah, I would not be above that. This is what was weird about it. We were the opener. No one knew who Celebrity was outside of Nashville and Atlanta and Charlotte because I was from Charlotte, except these major labels who were wanting to sign the next big band or whatever. But, you know, we would open the show and just play to a sea of hardcore kids that the majority of them didn't know the touch points of the kind of music we were trying to write. You know, they didn't know about Failure or Catherine Wheel or, you know, yeah. any of these bands that we really loved. Uh, so it was a lot of blank stares uh, on that tour. But I think what was just more unusual for me was like opening these shows to <laughs> in 
and I don't mean this the way that it sounds, but I was opening shows to my own fans. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. they yeah. were they were coming to see Hope's Fall. You know, I was an active contributor to, to that band, but I was no longer in the band. So it was an interesting kind of juxtaposition to be the opener and to be playing the style of music that a lot of them just aren't into. And that's okay. It's not a slight to them. There's just not their vibe. Yeah. And then, you know, Hope's Fall goes on and they go ape shit, you know? So it's kind of like, oh. it, it, it was a weird, it, that was a weird tour. You know, we got, we got jumped on that tour in Salt Lake City and we had to cancel the rest of the tour because oh. I had a, like a fractured jaw and like... Why did you get jumped? Oh, it's a long story, but essentially, you know, there were a bunch of straight edge kids and, and you guys probably know this, the Salt Lake City scene was pretty... Oh, yeah. Rough. Pretty violent and rough. rough. Yeah. And the guys on Celebrity, they didn't grow up in the hardcore scene. They don't know anything about it. They like alternative rock, and that, that's what they're into. Uh, they respect the, the, the music, um, and they obviously had listened to Hope's Fall uh, before they had asked me to come out. But, you know, my bass, bassist, Jesse, there were some guys picking on this kid, and he, he kind of intervened, not violently. And these dudes didn't like it. And then it just turned into a, uh, just a brawl outside oh. of the club. And, um, Lance had a concussion, uh, almost uh, nearly had a concussion. I had gotten kicked in the side of the head. So the ligaments in my jaw were torn and good Lord. So yeah, that, that ended that tour pretty quickly, but I will say this, like it was a neat, it was a neat experience because we would play every night and all the bands would watch us. Like they would sit side stage and watch our set every night. And that always stuck with me, you know, like oops, fall every time I die the beautiful mistake guys were all right there, you know, watching us play. I would, yeah. Cause I've had the opposite happen. I remember my first band, I finally got in a band and I was like, yes. And some of my friends in like a bigger band came to see us and I was like, Oh wow, they're here. And we start our first song and halfway through I look and they're gone. Oh man! They went to stand outside. I was like, "Oh, oh man!" Oh yeah, yeah. And then you say, "Oh, nice set, man. Nice set." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "Thanks." Oh, and, and to add insult to injury, every single person at the show messaged me or texted me or called me to ask, "Who was the band that opened before you?" Oh, and I man. was like, "I don't." And like by the fifth time, I was like, "Their name is fucking," you know. And I would give them the name like. <laughs> So these are who the things it? I who, remember. Who who was it? Holler Wild Rose. Yeah. <laughs> it was fucking Holler Wild. Yeah, we all love fucking Holler Wild Rose. Okay, they were good. I'll give they it. Were, was good. <laughs> yeah, they were good. They were good. They. I don't know. I guess they were better than us. It's fine. Oh man, it's fine. I'm over it, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, man, that that's a crazy like life test situation. Like, you're not in Hope's Fall anymore. You're opening for them, and then you watch them play music you wrote. Yeah, and then kill it in merch sales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, man, I'll, I'll I'll put it this way: I needed to be humbled, okay? And yeah, and that was the most humbling thing for me was that. And 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 you know, part of it too is you're young, and being in a band plays to your ego, right? And your e- your ego just eats that shit up. Yeah. You know, it's like sugar to your ego. And you're just like, I'm so-and-so, I'm in this band. It becomes your identity in a way. So 
having to strip that away and find my niche in celebrity, right? Because that's its own transition. I'm learning new people. I'm learning how to play a new style while also seeing someone play parts that I wrote. Um, you know, I needed that at that point in my life, uh, you know, and that's not easy to admit, but, but I did. And it was the best thing for me at that, at that period of time, because in a way I was learning something about myself through that experience, right? Mm -hmm. If I chose to, to allow the learning to happen, I, I could have rejected it, but what I wanted to do was say, well, how can I deconstruct what led to this and how can I not bring this to celebrity? Right. Mm -hmm. And my approach in celebrity was different from a, a engagement standpoint, a person that I could, I can't change my personality, but I, I wanted to come at it from a different angle. And, um, so yeah, it was just a great learn, learning experience, even though it, if it was painful. <laughs> that that is a good perspective and a healthy perspective to have at that age because I don't I don't even think I would have been capable of that at that age but I'm going through a lot of that now a lot of self-discovery changing self-improvement type stuff and I I tell myself that a lot of things that happen are to squash my ego because it was out of control for a long time and got me into a lot of trouble and still does sometimes we all we're all you know we all like to have our ego stroked we do i mean it's 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 part of the human condition but yeah. i I, th I think you know when those big life scenarios smack you in the face right you know it's like sometimes you got to take the learn how to take that punch and and say all right i'm going to try to learn something from this as difficult yeah. as that is you know or in your case, learn to take that kick to the face. Yeah, man, that yeah. shit. That, I, that is I, fucked up. That dude knocked me out. I don't even remember it happening. <laughs> Where'd you wake up? I woke up. I woke up on the ground. There was a lot of yelling. We were in a big open parking lot, so there was nowhere to hide or nowhere to run to. My me first memory, I believe it was Josh from Beautiful Mistake, was like on top of me, like shielding me. And Whoa. I think... I think he drugged me across the concrete in between a van and trailer just to give us some obstacles to put between us and all these dudes. And then the next thing I remember, just the cops showing up and, you know, all those dudes had, had fled by then, um, obviously. But, you know, they popped me and I think Lance into the back of an ambulance and sent us to the hospital and they did some x-rays and they're like, you're just going to have to basically have a liquid diet for the next month. Ugh. And, and that was pretty much, you know, okay, this tour is over. You know, there, if, if I can't eat normally, like there's no way I can play a set every night. So, yeah, um, you could just become an alcoholic, like just drink beer every night. <laughs> oh God. Can you imagine what your stomach would feel like? That's, I don't have to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. How are you like hungry all the time when you can only drink liquids? Uh, you know, just had smoothies all the time, you know. It was fine. It it was weird. That's one of those weird things that happened in my life that doesn't feel like it really happened. If yeah. if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. It's like did, did no, that I, happen? Yeah. I have a lot of those. I, I, I was gonna say I my Keith, my spleen thing is like that. That's like where like somebody's like, oh, you lost Did you your have spleen? surgery or something. 
I, I fell skateboarding when I was 16 and I, I ruptured my spleen. Um, so I, I went into the hospital and had to get, uh, I went in because, you know, I told my mom, I was like, mom, I'm every time I lay down, I'm seeing stars. And she was like, here, just get in the car. And we went there and I remember the nurse said, uh, let me just do like, it was the triage nurse to decide whether I was going to get admitted or not. And she was like, why are you here? And I, <laughs> I lifted up my shirt and my whole abdomen was like black and blue. And I was like, well, oh. I got I got hit on the side. I was skating and I fell on a handrail and she was like, okay, let's take it. And she put the blood pressure cuff on me and she took it off and she was like, hold on a second. And she went and got another one. And I was like, what is she doing? And my mom's like, I think she thinks the blood pressure cuff's wrong. She's going to go get another one. And she came back and she was like, okay, well your blood pressure is 60 over 40. Um, so oh, we're going to go ahead and have you get examined and get a CAT scan and you're probably going to be in surgery. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but I, I was <laughs> no time in, to I, contemplate it. I, absolutely not. And I was, so I was in intensive care for, I, I forget the number of days. So I was in intensive care, I think for three days and then the regular hospital for three or four days. Um, dude. but I remember, uh, when I woke up, my sister was on vacation in North Carolina and it was kind of like a scene out of a movie. I woke up and my whole family was standing there. <laughs> like all my sisters, uh, my friend Anthony was there, <laughs> like my mother, my stepfather. I'm like, uh, hi. And they're like, how are you feeling? I'm like, well, I'm here. So that, <laughs> that did you think you died? I don't know. Uh, I'll be really honest. They, they gave me that pain medicine button. Yeah, uh, with Dilaudid in it, or I forget. I think it was Dilaudid, but um, I didn't really, f- I didn't really feel much of anything, uh, except when I coughed because Oof. they, uh, because it was an emergency surgery, they couldn't do the, um, what do they call that when they go in with the, like the teeny tiny incision? Uh, I forget the name of it, but like that exactly, they couldn't do that. So they actually, I have a scar that runs from my sternum, like right below where my uh, solar plexus is to under my belly button. And so they opened up my entire abdominal cavity. And uh, so just moving around hurt a lot. Uh, And coughing was like excruciating. I used to, I remember I went to school and my teacher was like, what is that? And I was like, it's my cough pillow. She was like, what? I was like, I have to hold this on my stomach when I cough because I had surgery. And she's like, oh, okay. Uh, but I do remember the thing that kind of really like made it seem like surreal was I, I said, oh, uh, how many stitch? how many stitches do I have? And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I had like surgery. So how many stitches do I have? And she goes, I think there's 160 something internal. She goes, but we closed you up with staples. You have 13 staples, I think. And I was like, what? Oh my God, man. Wait, like staples? Like I, you know, as a 16 year old, I didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, I actually still have, even around like the, the main scar on my stomach, I have the little dot scars on either side. So, <laughs> but that's, that's crazy. Just thinking back on it, uh, unbelievably, uh, like it seems surreal. Like even just telling the story now, it's like, fuck man, that really happened to me. Like that, that's insane. And when I tell people now, uh, and you know, I, I, I teach middle school math. And when I tell kids, like they always do, like, you know, we, you know, to get to know you like icebreaker things. Um, 
You tell uh, them about the surgery. I well, I always do. <laughs> I, I always do. Uh, I always do like something like I've been skydiving. You know, like you know that game, like two truths and a lie. So you yep. tell you tell two truths, and then one of them's a lie, and the people have to figure out which one's the lie. So I always go like I've been skydiving. Um, I have five sisters, and I lost my i lost an into i don't ever say spleen because like six graders are like you what like i like i lost an internal organ when i was skateboarding and they're like that's the lie yeah, right. and i'm like yeah, right. nope that's the truth i ruptured my spleen skateboard i broke four four ribs and uh and ruptured my spleen they're like that's insane man holy shit they're like mr docker and they always say can we see the scar and i'm like i'm not taking a dress shirt off in front of 11 year olds are you out of your I'm like <laughs> <laughs> there's cameras in this cl- there's cameras in this oh. classroom i was like you know what one day when you're older i will show you the pictures of when it, it uh because i remember when i came home my mom took a picture of me and i it's it's kind of scary because uh like i i'm bigger now like i'm i'm like almost 200 pounds and i think after uh when i came home and i was in recovery i th- think i i dropped down to like 122 or 125 or something like that i was definitely wow. under 130 pounds and it was uh it's really it's actually when i see the picture it, it kind of makes me like wince a little bit i'm like oh my god how long before you reconnected with the guys from hopes fall again and how did you end up playing with them again yeah well we did um we did a series of reunion shows God, that's been 10 years ago already. <laughs> was that that run of a couple shows with the original vocalist in 2010-ish? Yep, yep that was with Doug um, uh. and Pat, uh, our second bassist, uh, and Chad Moonlighted on a couple songs, who is our third bassist. Yeah, so we did those shows just kind of as a one-off, two shows in a row. And it was mainly because Code 7, you know, which is a an amazing band from North Carolina that was highly influential on us um oh yeah they um this club ziggy's which was like this amazing club in winston-salem uh where i've seen like every band in the world i feel like i saw play there it got torn down wake forest university bought the property and i think it's like a parking lot now but they the original owners of ziggy's the club decided to reopen a new club and they approached Code 7 about doing a reunion show. So then Code 7 approached us about doing a, reu- a reunion show with the original lineup. Well, almost original lineup of the band, the No Wings lineup. Mm-hmm. So we did those shows in 2011. R- rewinding before that, I mean, we had mended uh, the, the friendships way prior to that. We, we, we were hanging out anytime I was visiting home. Probably, I'd say starting around 2005, 2006, just we, we started to hang out quite a bit again. But I guess the return back to the band to write new material, you know, they put out Arbiter, which is a, a really great record. Um, oh, yeah. And D- Dustin uh, played uh, guitar on that record with Josh. Uh, Dustin's an amazing guy. I love that dude. Uh, great player. Dustin basically said he, he didn't want to do didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, you know, it was amicable. Um, I think it was just a time thing and uh, a life thing. And so I got a random phone call from Josh, which isn't unusual. I mean, we, we keep in touch and, uh, text quite a bit, but I knew it was different because he's like, I'm going to 
patch Adam in. And I was like, huh, I wonder what this is about. Um, Were you scared because of the previous phone call from Josh? Um, no, no. That's good. I, I knew that it felt like they were very quickly. It felt like, you know, they were going to ask me to, to come back. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's tricky because I live seven and a half hours away, you know, and, right. and, uh, it's, it's not an easy drive. You have to go through the mountains. Um, you know, so it, it's a, it's a focused drive. It's a focused seven and a half hour drive, but you know, I told them I, my main concern, uh, cause I did have concern, uh, cause I'd been away from the band for a very long time as a writer. Um, and I write different music now. Um, and, uh, I just told them, I was like, I just wanted to be authentic, you know, and I don't want to force it. If we get in the room and it doesn't feel right, or it doesn't, it's not working. I don't want to do it, you know, and, and not from an ego standpoint, just uh, from the standpoint, I, I want it to be real. You know, I, I don't, I'm not interested in rehashing things or trying to be what I was. I, I want it to be modern and whatever that looks like for us. And yeah. So no, uh, flared jeans, no studded belts, no metal zone pedals. Thank God. That, no, that's I, done. I, I actually have good, good gear now because <laughs> <laughs> I can afford it. You know, that's like the, yeah. You have the gear you can afford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, so I mean that was the conversation and and um you know if I can fit it into my life and it and it's comfortable then you know we'll take it project by project and and see what makes sense, right? Um yeah. What was the first song you guys played together again? Do you remember? I want to say Probably April Left with Silence. That that's usually a, one of the ones we like to kick off practice with because there's a lot happening in that song and it kind of loosens you up a little bit. Oh yeah, and, and it's kind of an action packed song, and some of our songs can be long winded. So um, it is so good. You mentioned that No Wings is the album for you, and that's still one I go back to a lot as well. That's, that yeah. song especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a fun song to write. Um, I actually looked up tabs online to see how to play it. Cause I like the guitar in that so much. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's weird because Josh and I don't play the same thing a lot of the time. So, you know, I don't know some of his parts, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> I could probably like try to figure them out, you know, but, uh, we always kind of have that dual guitar kind of attack thing going on, but yeah, April's a fun, it's a fun one to play just cause it's just like, you know, it moves, you know? Oh yeah. And then but, there's a, there's a lot of excellent parts to that song. But yeah. I mean, we jumped into writing pretty quickly. I mean, we played some of the old stuff just to re refresh our memories or at least my memory. Um, and, but you know, the first song we wrote back together happened super fast. Um, and was that hall of the sky? No, that's number two. Uh, the second one we wrote together, the first one, uh, I can't, I can't reveal everything, but, uh, you know, there's going to be some more songs coming, but the first one's a banger. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really fast and action packed. It, it's kind of the, the antidote to Hall, you know? Um, yeah. and it, it kind of felt right writing a really quick song, um, our first time, or my first time back, you know, it just kind of felt natural that way. And, you know, whatever chemistry we had, 
we have, and we all kind of, for, I think we just settled back into our roles, you know, we all play slightly differently than one another. And I think, um, we give each other space to do that. And I don't know, it just felt very easy. You know, it, it kind of, for me, and I can only speak for myself, it was redemptive in a way, right? Oh, yeah. Um, because think about it. Josh calls you to say, we're going to go ahead on the tour without you. All this stuff happens. And years later, he calls you with Adam to say, we want you to come back. That's the full redemptive arc right there. Yeah, it really is. And and kind of how I think about it in my own mind is I and I've expressed this to them. They they know this. Hope's Fall, I did not close the book on Hope's Fall. It was closed for me. Yes. Right? And moments like that in your life, you feel like you you don't feel like you did lose control over that moment. It was no longer up to you. And there is a part of you that looks back and thinks, well, what if, you know, what if that didn't change? Would I have stayed in Charlotte? Would I have continued to play in the band? Would we have continued to make the kind of music that we were making? And you kind of have that like little voice in your brain, but to come back to it, right. And, and to be welcomed back and to write new songs and to record those songs it redeems that narrative in my own mind because now I know what it's like. And, and I, the way I kind of frame this is when you're young, your life, if you look at your life as a circle or a pie or something, there's not very many parts to it. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe you're in college, maybe you have a girlfriend, maybe you're in a band. Those are your three things or whatever's going on. But then as you get older, that pie just starts to get divided up with all these other responsibilities that you've got to take care of. And for me, what it did coming back to Hope's Fall was, yes, it redeemed that narrative for me, but it also put the band in my own mind in that pie chart. And it fills less of that pie chart than it did when I was in my 20s. And I mean that in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's not meaningful to me. I just have more life experience now. And I know you know, it, it occupies this section of the pie. It doesn't occupy this massive section of the pie and kind of bringing that reality into focus and being able to see it from that perspective is for me very healthy. Uh, cause it doesn't take up that space in my brain, um, that it would have with the what if, and that's been really healing for me as well. You know, it's just being like, okay, this is cool. You know, it's not the be all end all for me. And, you know, I've said to the guys, like, you know, my pie is kind of like, here's my family, right? They're the biggest part of the pie. Mm -hmm. Everything else is icing on the cake. So if, if, if I get to do the band and we get to have some fun experiences and it fits within my lifestyle, cool. If, if it starts to be too much, that's cool too. Um, because it occupies less space and I, I think it should frankly, it, it, the stage of life that I'm in. And, and I don't mean that to diminish it at all. It's not diminished. Like writing those songs was very meaningful, very meaningful. And, you know, putting out Hall, I really believed in that song. And 
just the reaction that it got was very, um, I don't know. It was, it was nice. It was nice. Um, yeah, it's a, it's such a good song. It's a song I go back to a lot. It's a song I have a lot of emotion tied to for a few different reasons. And I really, I was, I'm very invested in Hope's Fall, Ryan. And I have been since, I don't know. I mean, I, I loved the band in 2002 when I discovered them. And then there was a long gap. And then I fell in love with them again in, in 2017. And I was excited when I read that you were coming back to the band. And I really liked that when you posted something online and said like, hey, you know, I was messing around with this riff in 2015 and it ended up becoming a part of Hall in the Sky when I rejoined Hope's Fall X amount of years later. I just thought that was a nice like arc of story right there. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, I always, um, you know, tinker around on the guitar and, you know, you never know where an idea is going to go and where it's going to fit. And, and that one was just in the memory bank for years. And, you know, when we got together, I was like, I've got this thing, you know, and, you know, it became something totally, not totally different, but it was different than what I had heard in my head. What I heard in my head was a very like sparkly, twinkly thing. And then it just became this massive rock and roll riff, you know, which uh, <laughs> is really cool. You know, it's like once Adam put drums to it, it's like, no, this is a rock riff, dude. And and we're going to ride that, that wave. Um, and then, you know, let me have some, some twinkles at the end, <laughs> <laughs> which is like the stuff that I really like to play, you know? So, yeah. What's that thing from true detective that I keep, um, time which, is a flat circle. I was going to say Reggie Lido says it like right to him. He's like, time is a flat circle detective. Dude, that, <laughs> that first season is perfect television, man. It uh, really is. Please don't really get Keith is. and I started on it. We go yeah, off. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I don't want to, I, I I think about that television show. Like I think about it. Like oh, I've yeah. watched it. I don't know, three or four times, but I could go on and on. But with, with the remaining time, I, I want to make sure I mention uh, in parallel. Yeah. Another great band. Now fashioner is the record. It came out in 2020. And my favorite track was deep dark, which went right on my 2021 playlist. Cause I didn't hear the album until recently, but nice, let's, ta dude. let's talk a little bit about this band. Yeah. Uh, so in parallel is three fourths of celebrity. Um, oh, so it's Lance, who is the singer of celebrity, uh, and guitar player and Jesse, the bass player of celebrity and then me and then celebrity's longtime producer who produced all of the celebrity records. Mark Nash is the fourth member. So we started tinkering around in 2011 with, mm -hmm. with that idea. And we wanted to go, you know, Celebrity was kind of the bridge between uh, 80s and 90s and, um, you know, alternative rock with big guitars, but kind of 80s vocals, you know, in parallel, we kind of wanted to push further into, you know, the more gothic influences, frankly, the, the uh, you know, bands that have inspired us like The Cure and, and Nine Inch Nails and, mm -hmm. you know, even like Tears, Tears for Fears and, and some of the bands that you know, influenced us when we were really young. And yeah, so we started figuring that project out and self-released an EP called Broken Codes in 2018 that we did ourselves. And we did a small pressing of vinyl on that and then quickly started writing Fashioner 
and really felt like Fashioner was special. It, the, when we were writing those songs, they were just happening really quickly. And anytime that happens to me, it's a good sign. And yeah, so we made that record in my basement um, where I'm sitting right now. You know, I've got a small little project studio in the house. So we were able to spend as much time on it as we wanted because there was no clock ticking. And yeah, so we made the record in, in here. Mark produced and engineered it. And towards the tail end of making that record, Mark basically asked, I want to come into the band full time and be be a, a member. And we're like, totally, you're in. Um, so yeah, we, we finished tracking and, and recording uh, everything. And then it came time to have the conversation for mix. And we were just like throwing out like dream case scenarios of people we would love to mix it jokingly. Mm -hmm. And Mark was like, all right. He's like, you know, there's some guys here in town that I know who are really good mixers. Uh, I'll talk to them. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Well, unbeknownst to us, Mark blind emailed Ken Andrews. Oh. And with two of our songs. And, you know, Ken is Ken's top ten for me, period. Like Oh yeah. Not only as a musician, but as as a, as a mix engineer, he he his records sound amazing, and so so Mark just found his email and emailed him, and Ken wrote us back, and was like, "I'll mix it." Whoa! So, Fashioner was mixed by Ken. That process was amazing. He was super efficient. Like, would get us like tracks within two days. I mean, it was like boom, here's the mix. What do you think? And I mean, I, I'm not joking. Like I pick apart, I've picked apart everything I've ever worked on. Yeah. The mixes that Ken sent back, I had to find things to make up. Like <laughs> I was like, that, that, this mix is perfect. I would, I wouldn't change a thing about this. It sounds exactly how I heard these songs in my head. And I mean, we were just over the moon. It sounds super cheesy, but to be at this stage in our lives where music's not our full-time gig anymore, it's something we're deeply passionate about and we commit ourselves to, and we spend a lot of time on, you know, away from our families writing these songs to have it validated by Ken and, and to just have his work on something I made in my house. <laughs> it was just like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like one of those things where it's like, that didn't happen. Ken didn't listen to our songs, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I love that feeling, like, because I, I do, I have that with the podcast, too. I'll just hail Mary, send someone a message, hoping they'll come on, and sometimes they'll be like, yeah, and then they actually come on, and I'm like, holy shit. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm kind of jealous of you, Ryan. You've you've had records mixed by Matt Talbot and Ken Andrews. That doesn't seem real, man. Like That's I, like two-thirds of the Holy Trinity. I don't, yeah. I have, would have to think of who the third person is, but those two guys are it for me. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. And it's one of those things that like I have to pinch myself and, and remember that I have I've had those experiences because um it's easy to forget, you know, and um and take it for granted. But I feel like at this stage in, in my life, I, I just don't take things for granted. It's like that was an amazing experience and it was like one of those things we lobbed out into the universe thinking nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I get to say that I worked with somebody that I've admired for two decades. I, I mean, yeah, I, I'd probably like, I, I'd probably be speechless if I met him, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to say. <laughs> I'd probably <laughs> totally geek out, you know, it's like, I know I would. And 
the great thing about being involved with this stuff when you're older is it it's not such a big thing or such a big piece of the pie like you were saying it doesn't have to be this choice like it's the band or nothing or it's this or that you it's just part of your life it's just something you do in your life and it's fun there's not as much pressure there's not all this tension exactly you just get to enjoy the moment and i don't know i just it sounds when I say it, I, I feel like I sound lame, but I, I honestly just feel incredibly lucky that I still get to make music. And, you know, even if only five people listen to it or 40,000 people listen to it, it doesn't really matter to me. I just want to keep making music and making stuff that brings me joy. And hopefully other people find something in it too. And I don't know. I just feel lucky that, that I've been able to do it for this long. I, if you would have told me when I was 18 that I'd be making music when I was in my mid forties, I, I probably would have laughed at you, but yeah. um, I don't know. It's just, it's, 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 it really to me is it's a testament to our friendships in both bands. And that's something that that's always been important to me that the friendship is first, the band is second, that we support each other as individuals and let give space to each other to live the lives that they want to lead. Uh, but I don't ever want the band stuff to r ruin a friendship. And, and I think we're all at that stage in our lives where we have that perspective, you know, it's our friendships are, are more important. Yes. That's our edict on this podcast too, Tommy and I, yeah. because friendship first, and it would be so fucking lame to fight over a podcast. Totally. Yeah. It's lame to fight over a riff, you know, yeah. it's like, dude, just fucking move on, dude. It's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are we all, <laughs> why are we worried about this? <laughs> the listener is not going to be like, oh, we should have went to the seventh fret, not the third fret. Like, exactly. They're, they're not going to be involved in, they're not going to be invested in that fight. That was my riff, man. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Folks, I know Hope's Fall is going to have something coming out eventually. Hopefully this year. Hopefully this year. Is Hopefully what this for. year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep an eye out for that. Yep. We're going to see you at Furnace Fest, right? You guys are coming. I will definitely be there. Tommy will hopefully be there. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm still working on, uh, I work at a school and I would have to take some time off. I, I put in for it. It got denied, but hopefully, uh, with some staffing changes that are coming up in the next couple months, uh, I'll be able to be there. Awesome. Well, please come say hello. I would love to love to see you guys in person. So Hope's Fall, we're going to see at Furnace Fest. In parallel, are we going to be playing shows? Well, what, we're, what are we going to be doing? Right. We did get asked to play Beloved's reunion show in, in North Carolina uh, with Code 7. So we're planning on doing that in October. So we'll be posting, I think tickets are on sale now for that show. Um, it's, the venue is called the Ramcat, R-A-M-K-A-T. So if anybody's in North Carolina that has listened to Fashioner and wants to come see us, come on out. It'll be fun. And Beloved in Code 7 rip. So it's good. it'll be a good show either way. Yeah, Code 7, another influential band in our hometown. I know, I know they were highly influential for some of my friends. Un unbelievable bands, man. Like, they, they always made me want to level up and become a better band. And, yes. and, and, and those are always the bands that, that, you know, influence others, you know, it's, and they're just nice people. Absolutely. Well, you know, Ryan, you've written a lot of music that I enjoy and hopes fall. 
is a very important band to me. Like I mentioned before, I'm very invested in Hope's Fall. When I see a post or something coming up, I get very excited, and the band has carried me through decades of memories and all kinds of situations, and, uh, you know, thanks for doing what you do. Oh, man, thank you. That means a lot, for sure. Absolutely. Tommy? Yeah, I was going to say, Ryan, I'm on the same page with you. Wings is where it's at for me, uh, and it's one of those things that... uh, I go to the skate park every Saturday and Sunday with my daughters. And, uh, that's one of those things I put on my, I like, I, cause I can only put stuff on my iPod that, uh, exists on my hard drive. And I'm always like, I, awesome. have, I have a ton of new music that I want to put on there. I'm just like, eh, I'm going to go with the classics. And that's one of those things when, um, when end of an era comes on, I'm like, fuck yes. I love that song so much. <laughs> like, oh, just, yeah. It's just, so fun to play, man. That's just a fun song to play. And, um, that was a fun song to write. It happened really fast. Um, yeah, that's it. But, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on and especially with, uh, just talking about everything so openly and candidly, it's, it's really nice to have people that come on and then just don't give us like, you know, cookie cutter answers. It's really nice to have a conversation with you and I truly appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys giving me time and um, super fun. There you have it, folks. Ryan Parrish. That was excellent. I love talking to people from Hope's Fall. I want to talk to the whole band as this goes on. And that was just a great conversation with Ryan. One of those conversations where I glanced at the clock and an hour has already gone by. He was very candid and told the whole story and pieces of the story that I we hadn't heard before that I was very interested in hearing because I'm very invested in Hope's Fall of Hope's Fall. It was just awesome. That was a really nice conversation. And I think the other part that I like about when uh, Ryan does something that a lot of people don't do He's very measured when he speaks, like he takes pauses and thinks about like, I don't do that. I just fucking blurt stuff out. Like he really will take a second and go like, um, okay. So what I was thinking was at the time, like he really thinks through what he's going to say before he says it. And, uh, I think, you know, being open and honest about just things that have happened that are you know, at the time we're probably really, really uncomfortable. I think the line that hit me the most was he said something where he goes, and then I got that phone call. And I think getting that phone call that you're not in the band anymore is like, Oh, okay. That's really, that sucks. But the way he put it was, I, you know, these have been my friends. Like we, hopes all was four years, but these have been my friends for since I was a kid like to lose your friends and the band that you were working with for a number of years in the same at, at this simultaneously it has to be devastating and uh that part gutted me because i'm kind of going through something similar not exactly but and i wish i could share all the details but i can't but yeah and it's just yeah that part really hit me yeah, that and you know again thank you to him for coming on and being just so like you said candid. It's just like you don't get that from a lot of people, but for some reason on this show we we get that a lot where people are just willing to talk about things that are uncomfortable or awkward or 
you know, bring up memories that they aren't necessarily the most comfortable talking about. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think that speaks volumes about the way you, you talk to people. I think the, the way you ask questions and the way you kind of lead people in a certain direction and, and kind of it, it, you have a level of making people feel relaxed and comfortable and like, okay, like these guys seem chill. I'm going to talk about this. Like that is uh, a skill unto itself. So, well, I am, I'm genuinely interested in people's experiences and I want this to be the place where people can talk about things and feel comfortable. This is like the cool underground podcast where people come to really let it all out. Like Howard back in the day, you know? Oh yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That's what this show is. Old school Howard. Yeah. Like like 1989 Howard. (laughs) No, that wasn't good. Yeah, I'm thinking like, I don't know, mid-90s before it was too mainstream and it was still kind of a cool underground thing to do or I don't know, maybe I'm off base, but who knows. But listen, Ryan was awesome. And you know what else is awesome, Tommy? What's that? We got some a couple emails speaking to people. I'm going to read some of that now. Oh, nice. Eric Edge wrote us. Eric Edge wrote us. He says, Keith, Tommy, I'm enjoying the podcast tremendously. It brings forward interesting tidbits from some of my favorite bands and some awesome nostalgia. I recently heard you mention Centrifuge, so I thought I'd hit the Wayback Machine for some nostalgia. Oh, yeah. He he sent up like a... You can go to like that internet archive thing, and he sent a picture of Centrifuge, like the oh, front yeah. page. <laughs> and uh, so he posted there. I posted there. Everyone check out Eric's YouTube page, Time Falls Near. Have you ever seen that page, Tommy? There's tons of great old band sets on it bands from our area bigger bands time falls near is the youtube page check it out and he said he was inspired by us get out really yeah to dig up all this stuff and post it a couple people have said that can you believe that we're inspiring people tommy no (laughs) (laughs) you know what though i think uh we've talked about it on here where this was I think people get the idea like, look, these guys are doing it. And this was uh, an, a, an idea that happened outside of a bar. Like this was like, Hey, like this is, you know, let's talk about these things. Let's talk about those things. Let's tell this story. Let's have these people tell this story. You know, um, I got inspired to do it by seeing other people do it. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. I wish we could have talked like half an hour about t- true detective, but we were running out of time and I was getting nervous. All right. Can I say one thing though about True Detective? I rewatched yes. it. I think I said this to you on the phone the other day or I texted it to you. But um, when we were talking about it last time, that scene where he uh, kidnaps Ginger and he's like, you know, he's pretending to be part of the biker gang so he can do that, that job with Ginger. I know he gets out of that, that chase. But I still was like biting my nails watching it. I'm like, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? <laughs> like, he like leaves the back of that one house and then sees the cops coming the one direction. He turns completely around. I'm like, dude, he's fucked. He's so fucked. And in my head, I'm going, you know, he gets away from this. You know, he makes <laughs> it out. But it's so well done. And I think there's another part in an episode and i don't know why it hit me so hard but it's when actually he's sitting with ginger at the bar and him and ginger on the one side of the booth and they go to meet that cook 
the guy that they were going to, they're going to exchange Coke and meth with. So he's like, yeah. yo, we're going to, you know, we can get you a pound of this. We're going to get you a pound. Of, like we're going to trade. The guy looks at, um, Russ and says something like, I don't like your eyes. I can see your souls on the edges or I can see your soul on the edge of your eyes. There's something wrong in there. And it's like, Oh shit. Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know why that hit me as like such a, cause their conversation is so not what you would think a drug deal would be or them kind of setting up it, setting it up. And it, it gets, that show gets so heavy so yeah. quickly and I, I love that. I love that idea of like just being philosophical about things in, in the moment. Oh yeah. It's, it's good. I've watched it multiple times. All right. More feedback here. Timothy J on Instagram says, I really love the podcast. I have learned so much about some of my favorite musicians that I wouldn't know if it weren't for you guys. So thank you for that. And thank you, Timothy, for listening. Yeah, that's, I want to, I want to know about these guys. I want to know the stories. They're not out there. Or maybe they are, but I'm not listening. Oh, Tommy, you know how people always message me or message us and ask what the ending song is in the podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone messaged me and asked what the beginning song is. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so Mitchell Kid on Instagram. Oh, he commented on the Basement Year song on YouTube and said, awesome song, and I wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for the Northeast scene. So, Mitchell, I'm glad you dig the song, and I hope that we can somehow at least play one show one day. We'll see. You know, anything's possible. I love when people connect with something that we, th- I, I mean, so you've said this before, but like we, I don't listen to the show. Like we record it, you do all the editing. So by the time you're done with it, you're just sick of it. Like we, I don't listen to all the episodes. So um, when people connect with something like that, I'm like, Oh yeah, we do play that in the beginning and the end every time. <laughs> like, just forget. Like it's just not something that's on my radar. So remember, I disconnected my uh, Instagram from Northeast Scene, so I don't even see the the updates and stuff that come in. That's uh, you're you're probably better off because I'm doing a lot of DMing there. I think you were getting like a ton of notifications I, from me one time. And this is how inept I am with like that kind of technology. You're like, go into the thing, click on the one that says settings. Scroll down to the second, and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I had to help you log out of the the Instagram account. Yeah, because my I had my Instagram and then Northeast Scenes like linked, so like you know I could switch accounts. But it, it, yeah, it got too much. I think that's all the fan feedback I have. Yeah, it is. Wait, let me see if there's any new reviews. New review from Drew Barrymore. We know him. Here we go. Sitting under the learning tree. The Brendan Ekstrom episode brought me here because I've been such a huge fan of Circa Survive for over 10 years. I've heard that episode a few times now, and I'm still waiting for the Colin and Nick episode. Stay tuned. These two kept me company on Mondays during the quarantine and continue to this day. Bands like Hope's Fall and This Day Forward are now two of my favorite bands, and I've checked out dozens of different bands since. I've checked out a bunch of the YouTube videos too. A real treasure for anybody into the hardcore scene. So much personality in Keith and Tommy, and I can't wait to see where the show goes. Shout out Long Island. Five-star review. Thank you, Drew Barrymore. Yo, my thing is, is if he hasn't watched the Corn Woodstock 99, 
<laughs> Yo, I tried I tried posting that on our our account and I gave Phil Jameson a shout out, you know, for showing it to us and it instantly got banned. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I tried. So Oh, you know what I ha- you know what happened? I was talking, you know, Ed Hewitt, who we know. Oh yeah, yeah, for yeah, the BMX dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we met him like through the Instagram. Yeah. I got I got I made an agreement with him, but I realized I got the raw end of this deal because he mentioned uh, Logan. Remember I talked about the movie Logan on the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We made a deal. He he was going to watch Logan, and I was going to watch the four-hour Zack Snyder director's cut of Justice League. So he watched Logan, and he loved it. So I want to hold up my end of the bargain now. But now i got to watch a four-hour movie. I. I don't think I've, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a four-hour movie. Lord of the Rings. I've never seen that. You've never watched it? No, bro, you have to. But Ed, I'm gonna watch <laughs> Justice League. It's gonna take a long time, but I'm gonna get started because I I'm a man of my word, and uh, you know he watched Logan and he liked it. So there you go. Yeah, I actually uh, periodically exchange uh, like bands with Ed, and I'll just send him stuff and be like, "Yeah, check out check out Ulcer Eight. They're fucking sick." And then he'll send me stuff back, and I watch it too. So we're running out of time. So continue to write us northeastscene at gmail dot com. Continue to subscribe to us on YouTube, Tommy. You know we can monetize our videos if we get over, I don't know what it is, a thousand, ten thousand subscribers, something like that. Really, I didn't know that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. But then would people have, people have to sit through like a fucking Irish Spring ad before they watch it? I don't care. All right, fair enough. That's their problem. <laughs> if it pays for the, if it pays for the podcast fees, for, like, yeah. Right, if like, we if this podcast costs us nothing, that's going to make us happy, and you know it's going to make Mister Costco Pants over here happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So subscribe to us. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Write us, northeastscene at gmail.com, or write to us on Instagram. And if I miss it, I'm sorry. We get a lot of messages and stuff, and then I forget about stuff. I'm just constantly busy. I'm getting to everything I can. But know that I see it, and that we love you, and that we appreciate every one of you, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's without you guys, we wouldn't do I mean, well, we would still do it, but, you know. It's nice to yeah. have no. It's nice to know there's other people on the or people on the other side listening. Oh man, yeah, it's the best. It's the best. All right, well that's it. We're out of time. Thanks everybody for listening, and until next time.